Well, good morning. Let's listen to the words of the psalmist this morning. Psalm 147 starts, praise the Lord. How good to sing praises to our God. Verse 12, glorify the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he has strengthened the bars of your gates and blessed your children within your walls. He sends peace across your nation and satisfies your hunger with the finest wheat. He sends his orders to the world, how swiftly his word flies. He sends snow like white wool. He scatters frost upon the ground like ashes. He hurls the hail like stones. Who can stand against his freezing cold? Then at his command, it all melts. He sends the winds and the ice thaws. Well, may it be. Thus saith the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome. Good morning and welcome. Hey, I want to start with a pop quiz. Uh, Jenny's like, oh, no, not that. We're going to do a little interacting this morning. When God talks about himself, what does he say? How does he describe himself? I am. Okay, good. I'm the Alpha and Omega. Okay. The Lord of Heaven's Armies. That's one of my personal favorites. I like that. Beginning and the end? A jealous God. Thank you. Okay. How about when others in the Bible describe God? Not just God describing himself, but how do others describe him? Jehovah? Yahweh? Almighty God? Okay. Elohim, breaking out the Hebrew. Nice. Nice. She must be in seminary. <laughs> the Lord God? Yes. Well done. Well done. You guys are awake. You're alert. You're vibrant. You're ready to go on this Sunday morning. I've been thinking a lot about this question, this uh, what does God describe himself like, or how do others in Scripture describe him since the beginning of the year? And uh, I applaud you guys for your answers. Very good answers. Um, as I've done a little study, what I found has surprised me. What I think uh, the, the words, the phrases that describe God and that, that others use to describe God more than any of the things you guys mentioned, more than any of the things I would have anticipated, is this. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God really began to describe himself like this towards the end of Genesis, but uh, it really took off and became his main self-description beginning in Exodus, when this guy Moses is talking to this burning bush, and he says, uh, who should I tell the Israelites sent me? God answers him like this. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Bessie, you got that one right. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. 
Now later on in scripture, when Elijah has his showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, who does he summon? 1 Kings 18, 36. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel. The God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Now we could show you countless other examples in scriptures of when God describes himself like that and when others describe him like that. And I thought about trying to count how many times that took place. But I ran out of fingers and toes within the first two books. I don't have uh, written proof. No, no author that I know of has said this is how he says he describes himself more than any other time. But I'm pretty sure that that is the case. So who were these great men, these patriarchs of our faith? These fabulous men that God and others used to describe God as? They must have been spiritual giants, right? They must have been legends in their day. They must have been respected by everyone, including their enemies. They must have done everything right. I mean, if God himself is to say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then shouldn't we try and figure out who they are? What made them tick? Shouldn't we try and emulate them, copy them? Wouldn't it behoove us to know them? Today we're starting a new series on the patriarchs. So the month of March, we're going to look at these three ancient men. And we're going to ask God, God, what does knowing these three men in Scripture, what does that do for us today? And how does that affect how we be disciples of Jesus and make disciples of Jesus? Let's pray now and ask God's hand and presence in this morning's service. Lord God, we are grateful for an opportunity to gather together. We are grateful that we could be here, that we made it safely on the roads to get here. Uh, we're grateful that we have the freedom, Lord, to worship you, that we aren't persecuted, as is the case in so many other countries. Lord, this morning I pray that you would, uh, that you would settle upon this place, that we would sense your presence. I ask that we would worship you well this morning. May everything that we say and do bring, bring honor and glory to you this morning. We give you this time as our offering on a Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen. fantastic anybody want to see it again a couple people shaking their head no a couple people yes oh 
I, I knew I was going to play that clip, and all week long I've been singing it. That, that, that brings a smile to my face. Heidi says old school. Yeah, 1992. Like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Man, Michael Jordan was in his heyday when I was a kid. He ruled the courts. And I think every young boy saw that commercial and wanted to be like Mike. And we figured if I drink the Gatorade, if I buy the Nike Air Jordan shoes, I'm bound and determined to be like Mike. Let me tell you, I owned a pair of Air Jordans for one weekend. I still think it was the best deal I ever made. There was this kid in the locker room, had a brand new pair of Air Jordans, and I happened to have this rookie card of some hockey player I don't even know. Okay? I convinced him to trade me his new Air Jordans for my rookie card that was going to be worth something someday. Oh, that weekend, I swear to you, I jumped higher, I shot better, and I ran faster than I ever had before and ever will again. Of course, that Monday morning, the kid came up to me and said, my, my mom found out. I, I need my shoes back. Like Mike. There was another time uh, when I was living in Dallas, uh, and my dad came home from work. And he said, hey, James, the Bulls are in town. Want to go watch them play the Mavericks? Oh, yeah, Dad. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I, just, I think he knew how much I looked up to Michael Jordan, how much I kind of idolized him. He was my superhero. So, so we drove from the suburbs of Duncanville to downtown Dallas with the excitement welling up inside of me. The closer I got to go, finally see my hero play live. Turns out the game had been sold out for months and months and months. Guy at the ticket counter said, you might be able to get a couple of tickets from a scalper, okay? But I couldn't even afford a pair of Air Jordans. There's no way I could have afforded a pair of tickets to watch him play live. It was a difficult pill to swallow, but a great gesture by my dad. I think he saw how much I looked up to Mike, how much I wanted to be like Mike. Now, when it came to Michael Jordan, though, there were some harder days ahead for me. Harder than just not being able to watch the Bulls play live, I remember really struggling as a kid when I, when I found out that he had some gambling problems. And I remember wrestling in my gut when I learned about some of his extramarital uh, affairs. And I remember just being brutalized when I watched his uh, Hall of Fame induction speech. I mean, what, what arrogance and what, like, uh, pent-up anger must have been in that guy. Like Mike, kind of took on a new meaning when I learned some of those things about him. Maybe being like Mike wasn't the best thing that I could have hoped for. It's easy for us, for any of us, to idolize somebody, to put somebody up on this pedestal. And yet this pedestal is always a house of cards waiting to come crashing down if the person that we are idolizing is a human. I started this morning, the very beginning, talking about how God calls himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This past week, I started studying Abraham. And i got to be honest, there was a part of me that just hoped that, okay, I hope that Abraham turns out to be this guy that, that I can say I, I, I want to be like. I want to be able to maybe, you know, drink the, the camel milk and uh, buy the sandals and become like Abe. Want to know what I found? 
I found that the story of Abraham was a lot of, <gasps> oh. So this morning I want to title the message, and I couldn't quite figure out how to write it in the bulletin, but I want to title it The Story of Abraham. <gasps> oh. If you can figure out how to write that down, send it to me uh, midweek, and years from now, if I ever recycle the sermon, I'll, I'll write it down. In the New Testament, where many Protestant churches spend most of their time, this man, Abraham, is practically idolized. And it starts right at the first verse of the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The genealogy of Jesus says this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. I mean, talk about a good, uh, a good group of people to be named with. And from that point on, we see references of this great man, Abraham. He's in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. He's in the story anytime there's a religious person claiming some sort of ancestral relative. I am, I am a descendant of Abraham. When Stephen is talking to the Jewish council in Acts chapter 7, he recalls the story of Abraham. Chapter 7, verse 2, this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. And we see the greatest biblical missionary, Paul, perhaps the greatest missionary ever, write an entire chapter on one of the characteristics of Abraham, on his faith. Just one verse in that chapter, Romans chapter 4, verse 20 says, Abraham never wavered. In believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and he brought glory to God. The author of the Hebrews says this in chapter 6, verse 15 Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Oh man, just looking at these verses, we start seeing Abraham might fit. He's gonna get up on this pedestal, right? He's a relative of Jesus. He's the father of the Jewish nation. He's he's a person of faith, a person of patience, a man that God himself even called a prophet. That's Genesis 20, verse 7. Man, we could could all sing together. Sometimes I dream that he is me like Abe. If I could be like Abe. I'll try not to sing too many more times this morning. (laughs) God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So the story of Abraham, the story of, (gasps) let's start with the big inhale though. As I read Genesis 12 through 25, I realized there's a few things that Abraham does really, really, really good at. There's a few things that he is just super copyable at. For starters, he's a man that obeyed. On so many different levels, this man was obedient. We see this in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to be right around here bouncing in and out of Several of the chapters, so uh, you can try and keep up if you want. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed. As the Lord had instructed. God said, leave. Abraham packed up and left. He's obedient. And when God gave Abram his first son through his wife's servant, Hagar, Abraham listened to what God had told her to name the boy. 
And he named the boy out of obedience. Genesis 16, verse 11. This is God speaking to Hagar first. The angel said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. More likely, she went back to Abram and said, Hey, God said I'm supposed to name this kid this name. And Abram could have named him anything he wanted. He didn't have to listen to her. He was the servant of his wife. But Abraham obeyed. Chapter 16, verse 15. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Just a small bit of obedience, but still obedience nonetheless. Abraham could have picked whatever name he wanted. But he obeyed God's command and named the baby boy Ishmael. Of course, there's the other story of Abraham's obedience that we're all familiar with. The the story of when God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his beloved firstborn son through his wife, Sarah. You'd think that after waiting more than 20 years for that promise to be fulfilled, for the kid to come, that Abraham would have had a little bit of hesitation when God said, go and do it. But he didn't. Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountain on, on the mountain that I'll show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkeys, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac, chopped wood for the fire, and set out the place that God had told him about. Verse 10, same chapter. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Abraham was obeying. And it was his obedience that really impressed God. You go down to 22, verse 15 and 16. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me. And if not withheld, even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. Abraham was an obedient man. Now how's that for, yes, right? If I could be like Abe, let's keep going. Something else we know about Abraham is he was a worshiper. He loved to worship, and it seemed like everywhere he went, every time he stopped, he would be worshiping. On his first real stop in Canaan, this is what happened, Genesis 12, verse 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'll give you this land to you and your descendants. And Abram built an altar, dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him there. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp on the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. After a stint in Egypt that we're going to talk about in a little bit, this is what happens. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1 to 4. Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Chapter, uh, verse 4 says, This is the same place where Abram had built an altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. Man. A few verses later, after Abram had told Lot, you pick whatever land you want, I'll go somewhere else, this is what happens. Chapter 13, verse 18. 
So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. He's a worshiper. When God made the covenant with him again in Genesis 15, it was a form of worship. And then after God renames Abram to Abraham, what does Abe do? Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, at this Abram fell face down on the ground. That is the posture of worship. Abraham was obedient and he was a worshiper. And we can keep going, okay? He was also a generous man. When it came time to, to pick lands because the, the land couldn't support both Lot's men and all of his cattle and Abram's men and all of his cattle, Abraham said, you know what, Lot, you pick first. He was generous. Now, Lot chose this land, ended up getting captured by a couple of warring kings, and uh, Abraham goes and, and recaptures him. And then the king of Sodom says, hey, there's, well, he, Abraham took a bunch of the stuff from him. And Abraham says, you know what? I, I don't want any of that stuff. Genesis chapter 14, verse 24 It says, when Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized men went and, uh, and captured him back. So Abram replied to the king of Sodom, verse 22, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high creator of heaven and earth that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise you might say, I'm the one who made you rich. So I'll accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, but I request that you give a fair share to the people who fought with me. That's generosity. I don't want your goods, but make sure the other people get them. Now, this generosity lasted all the way up until his deathbed. He's on his way out. In chapter 25, verse 5, says, Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac. But before he died, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them off to the land in the east, away from Isaac. So it was a legacy of generosity that Abraham was leaving, right? Something to copy, something to make us say, yeah. Now we could talk about how Abram was a family man, one willing to risk life and limb when he pursued the kings that had captured Lot and his family in Genesis 14. This family focus bleeds over into the time that he was uh, bold in bartering with God over how many people it would take not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. On the surface, that looks like just some bold bartering with God, but later you realize that Abraham's nephew Lot lived in that town. So Abraham was, was having some strong family ties there. Wait, God, don't do it. I got family there. We could also read about Abraham's hospitality in Gen Genesis 18. It would make us inhale deeply. We could see how honest and fair he was when he was bartering to, to buy a, a cave to bury his wife the owner of the cave in that land said, I'm going to give it to you, Abraham. And Abraham says, no, I, I want to do what's fair. I want to do what's just. I mean, Abraham is, is just doing some fantastic things. It seems like he's, he's quite the stand-up guy, and, and we haven't even mentioned his faith yet. This is the thing that he was most known for, the faith of Abraham. It was the, the faith that was tested in Genesis chapter 22 upon God's request to sacrifice Isaac. It was his faith that was so highly praised by God himself. Genesis 15, verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
The Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This was the verse, this was the verse referenced in the New Testament. One of the greatest traits of Abraham that we can remember. I, if I had any sort of technological gifting, I should have recruited Tim. I would have made a commercial right now, and I would have put pictures of Abraham up there. And I would have you know, shown clips of his obedience and his family loyalty and his generosity and his worship and his faith. And, and it would have been a fantastic commercial. Kids across the country, you know, across the world and in faith traditions would have said, Oh, if I could be like Abe, sometimes I dream that he is me. You guys are going to have to sing it with me one of these times. Abraham gets it. We want to be like Abe. Now, if I stopped there this morning, if I didn't continue the story at all, we'd, we'd have every reason to put Abraham on this pedestal. We'd keep lungs full of inhaled, excited air because we finally have this human example that we can follow. But if I stopped there, it'd be an incomplete story of Abraham. You see, this great man of God, he was human. He was human. Yes, he may have set up altars everywhere he went to worship, but there were times he had false worship. Genesis chapter 17, verse 17, then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. Oh, oh, Abraham, don't, don't do that. He bowed low, but laughed in what? disbelief? Oh, Abraham. Times of false worship, disbelief. There were times when this man who who would pack up everything at the command of God, seemingly without fear, without question, there were times he didn't have the backbone to stand up and do the right thing. Do you remember when God promised Abraham a child through Sarah? It didn't happen soon enough. So Sarah comes to to Abraham and uh, took things in her own hands, and she suggested that Abe sleep with her servant. Now here's Abe's opportunity, right? Here's his chance to say, no, no, my dearly beloved wife, my loins are for you only. And besides, God made a promise to us. You'd have the kid. Let's not take things into our own hands. Let's just trust him. Is that what he said? Genesis 16, verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed. I don't see much uh, like, wait, 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 wait. No, Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Okay? And then, still speaking of not stepping up, it worked, right? Hagar got pregnant. But then things, you know, temper started flaring inside the tent of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, and, and, and things just didn't, you know, it was tense in the tent, and, and Sarah couldn't handle anymore. And Abraham, he once again had this fantastic opportunity to step up and lead well. But what happened? A few verses later, chapter 16, verse 5 and 6, then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault, 
I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And Abram stood up and did what was right. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, you deal with it. Abraham says, I'm out. This was your idea. <laughs> oh, man, I'm not, I'm not touching that. She's your problem. Abraham, step up and be a man. Oh, this man of great faith, this man of quick obedience to God, even he had a tendency to question God. Just listen to this. Genesis 15, 1 through 8. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. And he said to him, don't be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, my servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendant of my own, so, one, so no one of, or excuse me, so my servant will be my heir. The Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own, who you will have as your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up in the sky, count the stars if you can, that's how many descendants you will have. Abraham believed God. This is verse 6. The Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord said, just a reminder, Abraham, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land in your possession. But Abraham replied two verses later, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I will actually possess it? God, I don't, I, I trust you, but I, I don't. Oh, Michael Jordan, yes, he could shoot, he could dunk, he could defend, he could pass, but off the court he had his arrogance and, and gambling problems. Abraham the Hebrew, yes, he was loyal, he was obedient, he was family driven, but he had his lack of trust and he had his lying problems, his lying problems. And not just little white lies like, yes, Sarah, I swept all the dirt out of the tent this morning. Or yes, I, I cleaned the camel's hooves really, really, really good this morning. His lying could have been called human trafficking. There's a shout out for next week. It could have been called selling out his wife in an effort to protect his own skin. Genesis chapter 12, right after we see him pack up and move and leave everything, we see this. At the, time of a severe, uh, at the time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, Look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see, that, they, that when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife? Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and they'll treat me well because of their interest in you. You imagine that conversation? Well, uh, hon, listen, you're gorgeous. Now, you're really, really gorgeous. If the people, if they see how gorgeous you are, they're going to kill me. So uh, let's just say you're my sister and, and you can go, you know, we'll let them take you into their house. And, well, what do you think? 
I'll get rich out of it. Huh? Yeah? That's human trafficking, is it not? That's only looking out for one's own self-interest, isn't it? Oh, man. Oh. Man. Thing is, this didn't just happen once. It happened again. Genesis chapter 20. Abraham moved south to the, to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh, Kadesh and Shur. And then he moved on to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, She is my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. As a side note, it it turns out that it was only a, a, a half lie. Chapter 20, verse 11, Abraham replied to uh, King Abimelech, I thought this is a godless place. They will want, when they will want my wife and, and they'll kill me to get to her. Verse 12, and she really is my sister, uh, for we both have the same father but different mothers, and I married her. But when God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor, wherever we go, tell people that I am your brother. So maybe, maybe it was only a half lie. Doesn't make it any more right. I mean, Abraham seems to be looking out for his best interest only, right? Gentlemen, anyone want to be like Abe in this? Don't raise your hands. The story of Abraham. <gasps> oh. Thing is, he's human, Right? And even with all of these downfalls, even in these areas of his life where he slips up and it seems to take him out of the the running for God follower of the year, God still chose Abraham through the good, the bad, and the ugly. God still chose him. He singled him out. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. God said, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. God chose him and his sons so that God could say, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. For countless generations after, so where am I going with this this morning? What do you, what do you leave with this morning, aside from the fact that you're going to ask me not to sing the theme, the theme song anymore? I think ultimately that I have three things I'm hoping people leave with this morning. First and foremost, if we aim to clone ourselves, if we aim to copy ourselves after anybody, may it be Jesus Christ, because He is the only perfect human to ever live. Throughout the pages of Scripture, it says, follow Christ. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come be a disciple of Abraham. He says, come be a disciple of his. So if we're going to copy anybody, copy Jesus. Secondly, we need to recognize that, uh, if we're, that we should be careful not to idolize people. Even the best of the best, like the Abrahams of Scripture, have their downfalls. And yet even in their sin and their shortcomings, God still uses them. That kind of ties back to what Nathan talked about a few weeks ago. 
God can still use us, even if we're not perfect. And my third takeaway is this. We may not want to ever try and emulate, aside from Christ, every facet, every aspect, and every character trait of any single human, but we could try and copy certain parts. I think we should try and be like Abraham in his obedience. I think we should strive to worship like Abraham worshiped. There was one thing in particular, not found in in the story in Genesis, but something later on about Abraham that I found that I really want said about me. Isaiah chapter 41, 8 and 9. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend. I have called you back from the ends of the earth. That's God talking, calling Abraham his friend. James chapter 2, verse 23 says the same thing. And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Abraham believed God. God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And he was called a friend of God. I want that said about me. And I think it can be. Let me take that back. I know it can be. How do I know? Romans chapter 5, verse 9 to 11. Paul writes, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. It's fitting that we sang that song earlier, that uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Romans 5.11 tells me that I can be a friend of God due to my relationship with Christ. I don't have to count on any Abrahamic lineage. Let me tell you, though, friends, they have highs and lows, right? They have, oh, friends do things that make them excited. They do things that let each other down. Ultimately, in looking at the story of Abraham today, as as told in the pages of Scripture, we see that God was faithful to Abraham. He was a faithful friend to him, and he will be faithful to us as well. My hope and prayer is that one day, generations down the line, maybe one of Bessie's relatives will say, if I could be like Bessie, a friend of God. If I could be like Jamie, a friend of God of God. If I could be like Dan, a friend of God. Maybe in that sense, we could be like Abe. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so easy for us to look at uh, the people around us to look at those that we look up to and and to think to ourselves, man, if I could just be like them. But God, if if we look closer, we'll see that what you say is true. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God, and that being the case, I ask your forgiveness for the times that we have idolized, that we have put on a pedestal somebody other than Christ. Forgive us for that. Lord, teach us to seek to be like him, to live and breathe Jesus Christ. 
But teach us also, Lord, to look at, to, to look at those in Scripture, like Abraham, and to see the areas in his life that, that we can copy, that we can emulate. And then give us the courage to try. Lord, because in that courage, we know that we are a friend of yours through Jesus Christ. And whether we make you go, <gasps> or the times we make you go, oh, we know that you will be faithful to us and that you will constantly be with us, never leaving nor forsaking us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we can be a friend of God through Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. May the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, bless you and protect you. May he smile upon you gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen and amen.